I'm going to kind of elaborate a little bit what Daryl started out with. Again, this is a very sensitive, deep heart topic at the end of the day. It's not an easy topic. And I'm no, I know I'm talking to a slew of different backgrounds of what we all been taught, of what we all know, and what, even to some level of what we all actually believe about this. Um, we are a community that stands for life. We believe that a, that a human life starts at the moment of conception. No question about it. No if, ands, or buts about it. Um, it starts. At, so if you do not believe that, we're going to actually kind of delineate why we believe that and why God um, actually ordained it to be that way. All right, so again, today is the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Really what it is is Ronald Reagan um, declared the Sanctity of Life Sunday as a day to commemorate the lives that have been lost in abortion, but also to honor and rejoice in the gift of life. And so that's what we, churches across the nation are celebrating this. Roe v. Wade, um, if you guys aren't familiar with it, it was the law that was passed on January 23rd, 1973, that basically removed all the protection, um, the laws that protected the unborn. And it legalized abortion in our nation. There has been, we could go through, I mean, to be honest, when I was kind of praying and studying, like, God, what do you want me to speak about? Because there's so many different aspects to this injustice, to what's happening. There's repercussions that we've reaped in America. And I'll just kind of throw in a little tag here is um, I really believe that the economical state of America is not simply going to be solved by some mind that, or, or even necessarily what we can do with our budget or economics, though that is important. I believe it's an absolute repercussion of what's happening behind closed doors and our children are being killed and murdered for the sake of convenience. I do believe there are so many things that are the fruit and manifestation of God's judgment on this nation because of what's happening. So I just want to keep that in mind. And again, I was trying to figure out where do I go? How do I talk about this? Because again, you can kind of do so many different things and it, it connects to so many different things. But first, I just want to talk about... Um, I, I just, I, first, I guess I want to say is if you have struggled with an abortion, if you have been through an abortion, male or female, if you've been a party to it, um, or you know a family member or whatever, if it hits very close to home, I first and foremost want to say there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. The blood of Christ is strong enough to cover all sin. In Hebrews 9.14, it says that Christ will cleanse our conscience of all works that lead to death so that we can serve God. So if you have been through an abortion, grace, (laughs) as I talk about the seriousness and even going to give you guys some facts, if you've been through it, 
it, the blood of Jesus is strong enough. There's no condemnation. And also, too, if you have never received healing because of that or talk to somebody about that, I want to open up our doors to you. Um, come see me after we can connect you with people who in our church um, that can walk you through some healing, that can talk to you about it. If you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy or have found yourself in that situation, again, there's no condemnation. If we're going to be a people that call ourselves pro-life, we must be pro-child. So we're for you, we're not against you, and that everything I speak tonight is fully in love, even if it comes across a little strong at times. So just know that. Um, first, I wanted to um, share with you guys some statistics. I always am a fan of like numbers of like the facts, you know, because someone can kind of just tell you a story and you're just like, okay, cool. But when you really get the facts of the reality, it hits home for me. So I'm just going to share that with you guys. Um, since Roe v. Wade in 1973, it's been 42 years. This Thursday, I believe, is January 23rd. Um, it'll be the 42nd anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Since Roe v. Wade, more than 56 million abortions have happened in our nation. That's 56 million lives that are not with us today that we're never given the opportunity or the chance or the right to life as it states in our declaration. In Massachusetts alone, it's two Massachusetts, it's 2.3% of all abortions here in Massachusetts. So I'm going to give you our national numbers, but I'm also going to break it down to what's happening here in Massachusetts. So since Roe v. Wade, 1.2 million babies have been killed in the womb here in Massachusetts alone. Out of the 56 million nationally, and this, this kind of stunned me because I've heard people say it, but I actually looked up the numbers. I was like, what? That's crazy because I, what is it? Tim Hawkins, he has this joke where it's like ping pong in a, in a man's head when like the woman talks to him. They're just like, ding, 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 ding. And, um, it's, I feel like numbers can do that to us because like we really have no real understanding of like what 56 million is. Like that's, I don't even know how to get us to understand that number. But if you put it into this perspective, the Holocaust was 11 million people. 45 million more have been killed in the womb. We have a Holocaust going on in our nation right now whether we want to recognize it or not, it's happening and it's real. This year, 2015, it's only January 18th, 15,000 babies have been aborted. In Massachusetts, it's 2,300. Since January 1st, it's only been three weeks. Today alone, just today, Sunday, this time, 1,300 babies have been aborted. In Massachusetts, that's about 300 babies. Just today at 5 o'clock. Um, you can go on. It's called the abortion counter. And it gives you all the breakdown, not only nationally, but worldwide. That's where I got these numbers. And it's based on the Gutenmeier Institute statistics um, that they release, I want to say, like every four years. The other thing I wanted to address too was that um, reading up on it, 
that abortion is actually very much alive and happening within our churches. When they take polls of, of these men and women who are going in to get an abortions, they'll declare themselves as Catholic or Christian. So all that to say, 31% of abortions are done by Christians. Since 1973, Christians have committed homicide 5.6 million times. That's Christians, Bible-believing people who profess the name of Jesus. So I guess I wanted to give us all this information to kind of bring the reality home that it's a very serious matter. Sometimes it's kind of a, I'm, I tend to be this way where it's like out of sight, out of mind type of thing. Like, you know, how many times have we watched a movie or heard a story or seen something on Facebook or in the news and it's this grotesque, insane thing and you just can't even believe it because it's just so beyond what, like, that's crazy. Like, it's insanity. And um, we don't recognize that those things are happening until it's kind of put right in front of our face and we have to look at it. And um, that's why I want to give those statistics, the, the facts of the numbers, because I think we all need to constantly remind ourselves of the, the magnitude of what's happening. Um, so I, I wanted to first um, talk about, kind of ask this question of like, where do we stand on this issue and why? And I want you to be asking yourself that right now. Like, where do I stand on this issue and why? Is it because of my religious affiliation, because the church group that I'm a part of, or because I profess myself as a born-again Christian, so therefore I'm pro-life because that's what's expected of me? Is it because of my friends, my peer group, all my peers believe this, so I believe it too, why would I disagree? Is it because of my family, the way that I was brought up? I personally have always declared myself as a pro-life person because it was how I was brought up and raised, but there was a season of my life when I wasn't walking with the Lord and I did not live as a pro-life person at all. It was kind of the, and I'm sure we're all familiar with this, well, I'm pro-life, but if you choose, then that's okay. So we need, so I'm, I'm, again, we need to ask this question of why, where do I stand on this issue? And also the other question, if you're not pro-life, if you're pro-choice and you profess yourself as a Christian, why is it that you are pro-choice? Why do you believe the things that you believe? I find myself many times in a rut where I'll just start believing something because it's familiar or because it was told to me. You know, how many times you can hear a story and you just believe it and then you start repeating it, but never actually look into what is this? Like what is, what really happened here? What are the facts here? What is it, what is this really about? So that you're speaking truth. And so we can easily say, well, I'm pro-life, but if we're caught in a discussion, whether it be at work or school or with friends or family, glory, um, talking about these things, and we don't really have the articulation nor the understanding to be able to express why we believe what we believe, and it becomes very confusing. We get mocked. We, we stand there kind of dumbfounded of like, I don't even really, I believe this and I know it resonates within me, but I can't really delineate 
why it is that I believe what it is and actually shed the light maybe on some people who are on the the edge of it. So ask ourselves, where do we stand on this issue and why? And I want to say that all of these reasons of whether we believe what we believe because of our friends, our family, our coworkers, our social group, our religious affiliation, they're completely and 100% insufficient. You cannot stand as a pro-life person simply because others around you are standing as that or because you've been taught it or trained it. We must be rooted and grounded in what the word of God says is truth. We have to be, we're, and I, and I want to say this even more so beyond just, just the topic of abortion, but across the board with everything, whether it's politically thinking, whether it's your personal finances, whether it's your personal life, we have to be rooted and grounded on the word of God and what the word of God says. We cannot just sit up here, sit in these pews and listen to Daryl every Sunday and say, we know the word of God. We've got to take the word that's given in this place and in this house, go home and study it and know the word of God. We're in an a, we're in a season and a time and a moment in history where what the word of God says is up for big debate. Am I talking too loud? Is up for major debate. And if we're not grounded in this, we're going to be like, like, chaff tossed in the wind, going to and tossed to and fro, nowhere to turn, nowhere, not knowing what we're doing. And we need to be solid in what we believe. So I want to kind of shift this question and we need to start asking ourselves, not why do I believe it? Because we can make up some crazy thoughts and beliefs in our own minds, right? With our own habits, our own upbringing, whatever it is. We need to start asking the question, where does God stand on this issue and why? Because where God stands on this issue, we need to align ourselves with what God is saying in many, many areas. There's times when I read the Bible, I'm like, I don't think that way. I don't feel that way. It doesn't look that way. Nothing in my life is saying this is the truth. The thing that says this is the truth is the, is the Bible right here, the word of God. And I have to go, I have to choose to align myself with it. And that's what I want to talk about is um, as we go through this, that... Um, we really start asking God, like, where do you, how do you, that's what's kind of started with me, is I, I went, okay, God, where do you stand on this? Because to be honest, when I first came to Lord, I, I kids pastor here, <laughs> I was not into kids ever growing up, ever. Like, it's a miracle <laughs> that I'm back there with those children and enjoying it, surprisingly. Um, I just, I was never the one to babysit. I was never the one. My sister was that person. She was like, oh, you baby, let me hold your baby. And I'm like, I don't want to hold your baby. Like, keep your baby. I'll tell you it's cute, and then we're going to move on. And I just never, ever was that type of person. So when I came to the Lord, I go to the call, and they're like, you know, pro-life, let's put life tape on our mouths. And I'm just like, you guys are all a bunch of crazy freak people. Like, what's going on? But there was something still that resonated within me. So I started to ask myself, God, how do you feel about this? Because I don't see it as like a big deal. It wasn't this like 
big thing to me. So I just started asking God, like, how do you feel about this? And over the years, he's imparted to me what he feels, and it's actually caused me to align with his heart, and I'm actually feeling what he feels. And I'm actually seeing what he sees. He's opened my eyes to see things very differently. The love for children that I have now is nothing of my own, but it's God and God alone. And I can testify of that. And, and we need to have this developed within us. Um, indifference is completely unacceptable. We cannot be in the middle of the road on this. We cannot say, well, I believe this, but you can believe what you want. We have to stand firm um, with where we stand on this. So first, to kind of go really quickly, I know I'm on a time crunch, try to get to that game. <laughs> um, I wanted to first show us in the Bible of really how God does feel about this. So first I want to say that God is life. He is the giver of life. It says in Acts 17.25 that he gives life and breath to all. He's the very one who originated life. He is the one who gave us life so we could have life. He laid down his life to give us eternal life. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes with him would have eternal life. I want to read something out of this because they put the list together really nicely. It's a book. I always go to it. If you ever come and visit us at the Silent Siege, you'll catch me reading excerpts out of it. I love it. It's called Answering the Call by John Enzer. He's actually a local guy from here and um, it's a focus on the family book. But he said, God is the giver of life. He's the fountain of life, the defender of life, the author of life, and the restorer of life. In sending Jesus Christ into the world, God brings us the message of life. The words of life, the light of life, and the gift of new life, abundant life, and everlasting life. To love God is to love life. To be Christ-like is to be pro-life. The pro-life movement and the Christian faith are synonymous. Where there is one, there will be the other, for one cannot be had without the other. If you guys want to turn with me to uh, Psalms 139, a famous scripture verse that we all should make ourselves familiar with, if you're not. Psalms 139. Again, too, I was thinking about this, actually, when I was... Uh, putting notes together was um, just to encourage you guys. I know a lot of us are students and, um, you know, we're studying a lot, but I just want to encourage us, you know, whether whoever is up here to really be note takers, to be students of the word. That's one thing that I've learned. I'm not a note taker. I'm not a journal person. I don't like to write. I didn't, studying does not come easily to me. Um, but one thing that I've learned in even just using my iPad or my phone and taking notes, that it causes me to retain the information on a whole different level. Even if I'm not looking back on it, it retains information in my mind. So I just want to encourage you guys to, to become note takers, become students of the word. Um, so Psalms 139. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
marvelous are your works, and that, my, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. This scripture is, is David going through recounting what the Lord had done for him and reminding himself of who the Lord was in his life. And it, it testifies to the intimate involvement that the Lord has with us. He's not detached from our lives, but he's the very one who created us and formed us. You know, we can read in Genesis where he formed Adam in the dust of the sand and, and he put, he fashioned together and then he breathed life into him. That's what God is doing to us in the womb is he's forming us and shaping us. There's other um, versions of it that say he knit me together in my mother's womb. He literally pieced me together. Everything from the inside out. He breathed life into me. He gave me my spirit. He knew of me. I was a thought in his mind before I was ever a thought in my parents' mind. He fashioned my days before me before there was even one of them. And I really feel, and I wanted to stress this, that in order for us to stand on for life is we have to have an identity awakening within us of who we are. We are so, you are so important to God. You are so dear to him. Your life is not, is not just nothing, but it's a dream of God's heart that was birthed into reality. You're a dream of God's heart. You, each individual person in here, you were a dream in God's heart when he created the heavens and the earth. You, each one of you, were on his mind. Oh, we need to get this. We need to understand this. I need it more in my life because it changes everything. It changes your definition of success. It changes the definition of what you consider as valuable. It changes what it is to look in the mirror at yourself and what you believe. It changes everything. And if we could understand this and get this and have this revelation of a good God, a great God who formed us and fashioned us, that he cares tremendously about us and we get that about ourselves, we're going to start believing it for everyone else and we're going to be like, intense and crazy about fighting on behalf of others that are being aborted. So Father, I do, I ask God that you would just give us this reality. God, I ask would you give it to each one of us right now. Lord, we open up our hearts to you. God, reveal your nature to us. Reveal who you are, Jesus. I actually wanted to read this. Um, Izzy wrote a blog post on, um, we have a Bound for Life Boston page. So if you're familiar with it or not familiar with it, go on Facebook, look up Bound for Life Boston and like us. Um, you'll get some updates, some cool quotes that I myself post. So you don't want to miss it. If you want to connect with me on Facebook, that's how to do it. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to read this. Izzy is a profound writer, very gifted and talented. 
and um, she posts on that. So for, if not for anything, get on Bound for Life Boston, just so you can read Izzy's uh, blog post that she puts up there. So it says, before your parents even entertained the thought of having a child, God knew what you would look like, your frame, the sound of your voice, your personality, and every cork that makes you, you. Down to the smallest detail, he knew you before you knew you. The age-old question of man, why am I here, can be summed up in one simple answer, because he wanted you. Not because he pulled your number out of a hat at random and decided to give you a shot at life. Whatever circumstances brought you into this world, no matter how chaotic, messed up, or broken the reason, the reason you exist is not because of fate or chance. You are not a mistake or an accident of the universe. Whether your parents planned you or not is actually irrelevant. You are alive right now because God himself designed every part of your being and because he chose to put a beating heart inside your chest on purpose, he wanted you. Despite every circumstance that may speak otherwise, you were created completely on purpose and you are alive for a reason. You are wanted. In Isaiah 43, 7, it talks about how God created man in his image and created us for his glory. And I want to say the reason why abortion is wrong is because it defaces that which was made for God's glory. We were created to represent and manifest God's glory. I heard this example, and I really loved it because it put it into such perspective, was... um, if it, uh, Picasso or a famous painter, um, if I don't know of a recent relevant one, but Picasso came to mind. If Picasso had a painting and had just finished a, a beautiful canvas and someone went and took a knife and started slashing that canvas, I want to ask the question, did that person present an attack on the canvas or was it an attack on the painter? Was it an insult to the canvas or was it an insult to the painter? And that's how God feels about abortion is it's like going and slashing the canvas that's meant to be a representation and a beautiful mural and, and of who he is and the life that God offers. We are, by, being, in, by in, being a nation that stands for abortion and calls it good and right, we are putting our fist up to God. We need to be sobered big time by that. I need to be more sobered by that. Um, so that's to give you what the, how the Lord feels about us, how the Lord feels about abortion. And I wanted to go into... Um, I kind of wanted to delineate what we ourselves as individuals can do because I remember asking a question and um, I, we used to do these discipleship forms and uh, I remember asking a question because we would give them to Bethany or Daryl and accountability. And I was kind of wrestling over uh, abortion and kind of looking at it and going, this is a massive thing. 
Like, what am I really going to do to see something change? Like, what is, like, this me, little me, and my little prayers really going to do to change something? Like, what's the point? And what if it never ends? And even if the laws change, you know, people are still going to be in the back alleys doing it. Like, what really, where's the answer? Of course, the answer that came to me, well, when Jesus returns, everything's going to be great. And that's ultimately what we're going for. But, um... I know we probably all have this question of like, okay, this is a big issue. It's something big. How, what can I do that actually will change it? Um, and there is something. And I made that decision in that, in, um, when I was asking that question, like kind of writing it out, like, what's the point? And I started going, even if nothing ever changes, if I never have, because I was actually praying about it, I'm like, God, a, a testimony of like seeing a woman change her mind. And I'm like, I have other people's testimonies like that I've heard other people share with me and um, wanting to be able to ex- share something. But I made a decision that I was like, even if I never have a personal testimony of seeing breakthrough come, though I believe I will have it one day, um, if I never see the laws change, if I never see anything happen, I'd rather die, go to the grave, knowing I stood on behalf of what God believes and feels than to stand on the side of wickedness and think that, that it's going to change something. So that's been my resolve. Regardless of what I see happen, I'm standing on the side of what God feels and says. So I'm going to go through a quick acronym. I have about 10 more minutes. Um, So first, I'm going to do an acronym of life. So first, we're going to start with L, and it's going to represent learn. So this is what we can do as individuals, what we can do to see the cause of life um, uh, enhanced, grow, and fight for life in our nation. So the first one's learn. In Hosea 4.6, it says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. You know how, you know, the whole thing of like ignorance is bliss? Well, ignorance is not bliss at all. Ignorance leads to death. If you are walking to the edge of a cliff and you are ignorant about that cliff, you're going to fall off. Outside of somebody running up to you or a sign in the sky or something, if you were unable to see that, someone would have to tell you or you would have to become knowledgeable to know there's a cliff there and I'm not going to go near it because I don't want to die. And that's what we need to do. We need to educate ourselves. I'm a believer for education. I'm not good at the study thing, but it's a choice that I've had to make in myself and a resolve to go, I'm going to research what your word says. And not just what the word says, but even history. Like we need to have an understanding of what's happening. That's one thing I can say about our nation. I'm seeing it more and more in our schools is that history is beginning to get distorted. There's certain things that we're moving out. We're not going to talk about that. That is a foolish, dumb, stupid thing for us to do. Like the, the best way to learn is to look in the past what our forefathers did or didn't do. You know, if we remove the reality of what happened in the Holocaust, we're going to repeat it. 
It's going to happen again if we haven't learned from our mistakes. So we have to not only study the word of God, but we have to study history. We have to see what's happening. We have to study the facts. We have to um, learn. So I encourage you guys, go and learn and educate yourself. Don't just take it for, you know, take what I have to say and, and count it as all truth. Go research it yourself. Find out what God says in his word. Find out what... Um, is being said in um, history and also what's happening currently. I also um, want to say that we must know how God feels. We must know the truth because we can't stand on this if we don't know the truth. I'll beat that if I keep going there. So, In Psalms 2, it says to be wise, O kings, and be just instructed. It's a wisdom to seek out knowledge and understanding. So that's the first thing is learn. I encourage you all to go and learn and study and find out what's happening. The next one for I is intercession or prayer. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty says, I looked for a man to stand in the gap, but there was none. I don't want to, I don't want to know this verse and not say, yes, here I am, Lord, I'll stand in the gap. I want to be that person that the Lord finds when he's seeking. I want to be like Jesus who stood in the gap for our lives. The reason why prayer is so important is because God chose, he didn't have to, doesn't need us, but he chose to work in partnership with us. Um, in John, 1 John 5.15, it says that he hears us so we can rest assured that our petitions will be heard and not only heard, but answered. In Psalms, Song of Solomon 2.2, it says that he peers over the lattice of heaven. So he not only can hear us, but he sees us. He's knowledgeable of who we are. In Jeremiah 33.3, it says if we call to him, he will answer. So if, you're, if you don't have a prayer life in your personal life or you're not coming to our prayer sets, I encourage you to do one or the other or both. Um, I encourage you guys to get a prayer life. God hears us, he sees us, and he responds and acts on our behalf. The prayer, uh, Izzy actually said it. Uh, again, I'm gonna quote you, Iz, in your uh, blog. She's good. She's just good. She should be up here. Um, true love means to pray. The best thing you can do for someone or society is to pray. Our unvoiced prayers are actually fueling injustice all over the earth. By us remaining silent in prayer, we're fueling injustice. Because it says that for the, the lack of doing something about it, you have become guilty of that same sin. If you know of something that's wrong and you don't stand for the cause of what's right, you are just as guilty as if you committed it yourself. Sorry, is this, is this good? Is it, are you guys good? Okay. Sorry, I get, I get into my rhythm and I forget I'm talking even sometimes to people. Um, so F is forgiveness. This one I kind of wrestled over. I'm like, F, what could we do for F? Like, <laughs> what could we do for the letter F? <laughs> 
And I thought of forgiveness. I first was thinking family, and then I went to, I figured forgiveness definitely is it because we need to experience forgiveness in our lives to be able to extend forgiveness, right? What's been freely given to us, we must freely give. And um, in Romans 3.10, it says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And I'm sure we've all heard the saying that the the ground at the cross is level. And um, I just, I don't want to be a people. I tend to get a little jostled inside when I see it. I've had to apologize to coworkers um, because of their experience with it, of Christians who point the finger and hate and condemnation and, and the declaration of you're going to hell if you're doing this. And um, not necessarily that that's all not truth, <laughs> But there is a way to express the love and compassion of Christ in truth. And um, I, I believe that, that forgiveness really kind of completes that thought. Because we need to be able to look at the abortion doctor and be able to love them. It's not just a fight for the unborn, though it's majoritively is for the unborn. But it's also a fight for lives who are deep in deep, deep darkness and full of deception. And we need to be able to walk in forgiveness. If we're a um, person who are, you know, there's many stories about parents who force their young daughters to go and have abortion. We need to be able to walk in forgiveness for our mother, for those mothers that have forced this upon their children because that mother needs the salvation of Jesus Christ just as much as we all do. We can't hold the mothers and the, 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 the boyfriends and the husbands that have forced their wives to go get abortion. They need the salvation and to know the love of God just as much as any of us. So we need to be walking in forgiveness. It needs to be a reality in our lives, not just for these specific topics, but even as an individual. I always say, like, people will go get healings, you know, like encounter services, or they go on healing trips, and they come back, and they're like, I just feel so free. There's a freedom here. I feel so light. And really what healing is, is you're walking through forgiveness. Like that's what healing, I mean, if you've ever been through a healing thing, it's you recognize what happened. You forgive who did it to you. You forgive yourself for the response of your heart in it. Like it's a, it's a repentance and forgiveness thing. And it's actually very simple. And um, I remember coming back, it was years ago, I had went to a healing weekend for myself and I, I wasn't necessarily like, oh my gosh, I've been set free. And I didn't have this like crazy testimony. But the one thing that like the Lord um, spoke to me, because they asked me to share it at the church I was at. I was like, I don't know what to share. And um, what really hit me was living a lifestyle like this. Living a lifestyle of forgiveness, of not waiting to have to sit with someone, though that's important and needed, and have to walk through it one-on-one or go away for a weekend in healing, but actually live a lifestyle of forgiveness, of releasing forgiveness, walking in repentance, and receiving forgiveness for my own life. We will have no power in the place of prayer if we ourselves are walking in condemnation and shame. We will have no power in prayer if we're standing in the seat of the accuser pointing the finger in judgment. We will have no power there, so we must live with the reality of forgiveness in our lives. And lastly is engage. Um, James 2 says, faith without works is dead. And vice versa, really. Works without faith is quite dead. 
Um, so we need to engage, and I, I, I say engage, but it's a place of activism. We can pray and pray and pray. It's very important, and it's significant and needed. We can talk about it, but we need to actually engage on a level. We need to put, Lou always says it, put feet to our prayers. Step out in faith knowing we've prayed this, and first off, we've prayed this not to a God who has no ears, not to a God who has no eyes, but a God who hears and sees and acts to what we're praying. So we step out in faith. And I wanted to give us a couple of things that we can do as a community because I want to see us as a community, not just me up here or the few that might come to a silent siege, but as a whole community, as a people who are standing for life, not just in word, but in deed. Um, so we can, I, I put a couple, a list here, so I'll go through it. Um, ways that we can put words into action, and I'm going to first say this because I'm the children's pastor, is to show a young person what the love of God looks like. If we're, and I said it earlier, if you're pro-life, you're going to be pro-child. We have to invest in the children of our generation. Um, so I encourage you either volunteer at your, you know, whether this is your home church or you are just here visiting, I encourage you volunteer um, at, within your children's ministry to um, pour into the lives of children or volunteer at a pregnancy center, your local pregnancy center, and give your time to um, people who are found to be in this situation. So volunteer your time. Um, another one is that we actually do here is a silent siege. A silent siege is where we stand in front of the John Adams courthouse with life tape. And what that is, is red duct tape that we inscribe with the words life on it. And we put it over our mouths. And what it is, is we go and we say it's not a protest, but it's a prayer meeting. And we're being, we're being silent, but we're praying on behalf of those who have no voice. And we're, we're going to a judge that stands above all judges. We're entreating a king that's above all kings. And so we actually meet for a silent siege every first Saturday of the month at the John Adams Courthouse at 10 a.m. I encourage you guys, become a part of this. It's once a month. It's for two hours at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. I encourage you guys, even if you don't feel like you're, you have a heart or a burden for this, to be honest, standing in front of that courthouse is where I gained a heart for this, is where God began to start speaking to me about how he feels and thinks about this. Um, another one is to join a prayer meeting. We also, Izzy and I, lead a prayer set on Friday nights, and we try on the third Friday of every month to really focus um, on praying for abortion, praying for a revival in America. You can also pray by um, getting a life band here where you'll see a few of us wearing it, but it's a red band that says life on it. And um, whenever, really what it is, whenever you look at it, it's to remind yourself to pray. And the prayer is, God, end abortion and send revival to America. And um, this band is to remind us to pray. I'll be at work sometimes or I'll be, you know, walking down the street and my eye will randomly catch it. And I just pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Because we as a people need an awakening um, and then lastly, money. Money is always a great way. Um, donate your money 
to organizations who are standing for life. We have a pregnancy center here in Boston. It's the Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices. And they are Christians. They're Bible-believing. They're ministering to women. They're ministering to men. And they're seeing lives saved and also transformed. So you could give your money to someone like them. We all, there's also a woman's concern. They're a local organization where you could also give your money to. So I encourage you guys, so your, not only your um, time, but your energy as well as your finances. So all that to, to conclude everything, I just really wanted to express the, the need for us as a people to take a stand, not to just have the belief in our heart and do nothing about it, but to really be responders to truth, right? It's, it's the faith without works is dead thing. You know, you can read your, the Bible. I mean, you can apply this to any area of our lives where we can read. God can even speak to us. We can have revelation of something, and then we walk away and we forget it. And we don't walk in it and we don't follow in it. And I just, I want to encourage us to really take time in your personal life and talk to God about it, see what he feels about it, and to see what way you, within your life situation, with um, you, the demands of your own personal life, I know we all have different demands, but to really um, ask God what it is that he wants us to do as an individual, to stand for life and, and to engage in this battle that's waging against this generation. There are so many lives that we have not had the joy to meet or, or to um, get an opportunity to see what their lives could actually produce. And I've heard it said so many times, like, for all we know, we killed the person who had the, um, the uh, healing for cancer, thank you, <laughs> um, the solution for cancer. And, it, and it, that's just so true. How many things have we robbed ourselves of, even as a society, as a people, by killing off these young children? So I'm just going to close out in prayer. So, Father, we do, we come to you and we ask, Lord, would you speak to us, each one of us in this room, Lord? We're sobered today.